Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, Catholic, Evangelical, Ecumenical. The writings of St. Julian of Norwich have become undoubtedly popular in the last few decades, but these writings were hidden for several centuries after they were written. And you have to wonder whether certain spiritual writings, even if stuck in a dusty stack of forgotten manuscripts over centuries, miraculously somehow emerge when we need them most. Living in the 14th century, the time of iconoclasts, the Black Plague, St. Julian became an anchorite and started a ministry of counsel, prayer, advice, dream interpretation at the back of St. Julian's parish church in Norwich, England, at the age of 50. But 20 years previously, at the age of 30, she received, in a time of great personal and national crisis, a series of intimate visions. And they're chronicled in her one book, Showings, Revelations to One Who Could Not Read a Letter, Year of Our Lord, 1373. We have to assume that at some point she did learn to read a letter or two. The visions Julian receives and her own prayers and thoughts are deeply moving at times, deeply relatable. And at other times, they're puzzling, even strange, even alienating. She asks God, for example, to wound her. This doesn't sit well with our modern sensibilities. She asks to see Christ's mother, which might not sit well with Protestant sensibilities. But Christians over the centuries, across denominational lines, Protestant and Catholic, have found it worth sitting with these visions, because they undoubtedly chronicle an encounter with a God who longs to speak his love into frail human life, a God of startling humility. Today's classic text in Times of Crisis is, of course, an excerpt from her little book of visions. And one final note, today's reader had a request, of which I think St. Julian would approve, and that is to remain anonymous.
This is a vision shown through God's goodness to a devout woman, and her name is Julian, and she is a recluse at Norwich and is still alive in the year of our Lord, 1413. In this vision there are many comforting and very moving words for all those who wish to be lovers of Christ. Chapter 1 I asked for three graces of God's gift. The first was vivid perception of Christ's passion. The second was bodily sickness. And the third was for God to give me three wounds. I thought of the first as I was meditating. It seemed to me that I could feel the passion of Christ strongly, but yet I longed by God's grace to feel it more intensely. I thought how I wished I had been there at the crucifixion with Mary Magdalene and with others who were Christ's dear friends, that I might have seen in the flesh the passion of our Lord which he suffered for me, so that I could have suffered with him as others did who loved him. Nevertheless, I firmly believed in all the torments of Christ as Holy Church reveals and teaches them, and also in the paintings of crucifixes that are made by God's grace in the likeness of Christ's passion, according to the teaching of Holy Church, as far as human imagination can reach. In spite of all this true faith, I longed to be shown him in the flesh, so that I might have more knowledge of our Lord and Saviour's bodily suffering, and of Our Lady's fellow suffering, and that of all his true friends who have believed in his pain then and since. I wanted to be one of them and suffer with him. I never wished for any other sight or showing of God until my soul left my body, for I faithfully trusted that I would be saved. And my intention was this, that afterwards, because of the showing, I would have a truer perception of Christ's passion. As for the second gift, there came to me with contrition freely, without any effort on my part, a strong wish to have of God's gift a bodily sickness. And I wanted this bodily sickness to be to the death, so that I might in that sickness receive all the rites of Holy Church, that I might myself believe I was dying and that everyone who saw me might believe the same, for I wanted no hopes of fleshly or earthly life. I longed to have in this sickness every kind of suffering, both of body and soul, that I would experience if I died, with all the terror and turmoil of the fiends, and all other kinds of torment except for actually giving up the ghost, because I hoped that it might be to my benefit when I died, for I longed to be soon with my God. I longed for these two things, the passion and the sickness, with one reservation, for it seemed to me that they went beyond the common course of prayers, and therefore I said, Lord, you know what I would have. If it is your will that I should have it, grant it to me. And if it is not your will, good Lord, do not be displeased, for I only want what you want. I asked for this sickness in my youth, to have it when I was thirty years old. As for the third gift, I heard a man of Holy Church tell the story of St. Cecilia, from his description I understood that she received three sword wounds in the neck from which she slowly and painfully died. Moved by this, I conceived a great longing, praying our Lord God that he would grant me three wounds in my lifetime, that is to say, the wound of contrition, the wound of compassion, and the wound of an earnest longing for God. Just as I asked for the other two, with a reservation, so I asked for the third, with no reservation.
The first two of the longings just mentioned passed from my mind, and the third stayed with me continually. Chapter 2 And when I was thirty and a half years old, God sent me a bodily sickness, in which I lay for three days and three nights, and on the fourth night I received all the rites of Holy Church and did not believe that I would live until morning. And after this I lingered on for two days and two nights, and on the third night I often thought that I was dying, and so did those who were with me. But at this time I was very sorry and reluctant to die, not because there was anything on earth that I wanted to live for, nor because I feared anything, for I trusted in God, but because I wanted to live so as to love God better and for longer, so that through the grace of longer life I might know and love God better in the bliss of heaven. For it seemed to me that all the short time I could live here was as nothing compared with that heavenly bliss. So I thought, my good Lord, may my ceasing to live be to your glory. And I was answered in my reason and by the pains I felt that I was dying, and I fully accepted the will of God with all the will of my heart. So I endured till day, and by then my body was dead to all sensation from the waist down. Then I felt I wanted to be in a sitting position, leaning with my head back against the bedding, so that my heart could be more freely at God's disposition, and so that I could think of God while I was still alive. And those who were with me sent for the parson, my parish priest, to be present at my death. He came, and a boy with him, and brought a cross. And by the time he came, my eyes were fixed, and I could not speak. The parson set the cross before my face and said, Daughter, I have brought you the image of your Saviour. Look upon it and be comforted, in reverence to him that died for you and me. It seemed to me that I was well as I was, for my eyes were looking fixedly upwards into heaven where I trusted that I was going, but nevertheless I consented to fix my eyes on the face of the crucifix, if I could, so as to be able to do so for longer until the moment of my death, because I thought that I might be able to bear looking straight ahead for longer than I could manage to look upwards. After this, my sight began to fail, and the room was dim all around me, as dark as if it had been night, except that in the image of the cross an ordinary household light remained. I could not understand how. Everything except the cross was ugly to me, as if crowded with fiends. After this, I felt as if the upper part of my body was beginning to die. My hands fell down on either side, and my head settled down sideways for weakness. The greatest pain that I felt was shortness of breath and failing of life. Then I truly believed that I was at the point of death. And at this moment, all my suffering suddenly left me and I was as completely well, especially in the upper part of my body, as ever I was before or after. I marveled at this change, for it seemed to me a mysterious work of God, not a natural one. And yet, although I felt comfortable... I still did not expect to live, nor did feeling more comfortable comfort me entirely, for I felt that I would rather have been released from this world, for in my heart I was willing to die. Chapter 3 And it suddenly occurred to me that I should entreat our Lord graciously to give me the second wound, so that he would fill my whole body with remembrance of the feeling of his blessed passion, as I had prayed before 
for I wanted his pains to be my pains, with compassion and then longing for God. Yet in this I never asked for a bodily sight or any kind of showing of God, but for fellow suffering, such as it seemed to me a naturally kind soul might feel for our Lord Jesus, who was willing to become a mortal man for love. I wanted to suffer with him while living in my mortal body, as God would give me grace. And I suddenly saw the red blood trickling down from under the crown of thorns, all hot, freshly, plentifully, and vividly, just as I imagined it was at the moment when the crown of thorns was thrust onto his blessed head, he who was both God and man, the same who suffered for me. I believed truly and strongly that it was he himself who showed me this without any intermediary, and then I said, Benedicite Dominus, because I meant this with such deep veneration, I said it in a very loud voice, and I was astounded, feeling wonder and admiration that he was willing to be so familiar with a sinful being living in this wretched flesh. I supposed at that time that our Lord Jesus, out of his courteous love, would show me comfort before the time of my temptation, for I thought it might well be by God's permission and under his protection that I would be tempted by fiends before I died. With this sight of the blessed passion, along with the Godhead that I saw in my mind, I saw that I, yes, and every creature living that would be saved could have strength to resist all the fiends of hell and all spiritual enemies. Did you know that the first issue of The Living Church magazine came out in 1878? It invited a small group of Midwestern American readers to be active, informed Christians, influencing their local communities and encouraging the highest possible standards in church teaching, preaching, music, art. If you're not a subscriber, consider it. Subscription rates start at $9.95 a year for digital and about $5 an issue for a traditional magazine. You can subscribe for our next issue at livingchurch.org and just click the subscribe tab. Chapter 13. Very happily and gladly, our Lord looked into his side and gazed and said these words, Look how much I love you. As if he had said, My child, if you cannot look at my Godhead, see here how I let my side be opened and my heart be riven in two, and all the blood and water that was within flow out. And this makes me happy, and I want it to make you happy. Our Lord revealed this to make us glad and joyful. And with the same mirth and joy, he looked down to his right and brought to my mind the place where Our Lady was standing during the time of his passion. And he said, would you like to see her? And I answered and said, yes, my good Lord, thank you if it is your will. I prayed for this repeatedly and I thought I would see her in bodily likeness, but I did not do so. And with these words, Jesus showed me a spiritual vision of her. Just as I had seen her low and humble before, he now showed her to me high, noble and glorious and more pleasing to him than any other creature. And so he wants it to be known that all those who rejoice in him should rejoice in her and in the joy that he has in her and she in him. 
And in these words that Jesus said, would you like to see her? It seemed to me that I had the greatest picture that he could have given me with the spiritual vision of her. For our Lord gave me no special revelation except Our Lady St. Mary. And he showed her to me three times. The first, when she conceived. The second, as if she were in her sorrow under the cross. And the third, as she is now in delight, honour and joy. And after this, our Lord showed himself to me in even greater glory, it seemed to me, than when I saw him before. And from this revelation I learned that each contemplative soul to whom it is given to look for God and seek him shall see her and pass on to God through contemplation. And after this friendly and courteous teaching of true and blessed life, our Lord Jesus said to me repeatedly, It is I who am highest. It is I you love. It is I who delight you. It is I you serve. It is I you long for. It is I you desire. It is I who am your purpose. It is I who am everything. It is I that Holy Church preaches and teaches you. It is I who showed myself to you before. I only make these utterances known so that according to the power of understanding and loving which are given by the grace of God, everyone may receive them as our Lord intended. Afterwards, our Lord reminded me of the longing I had had for him, and I saw that nothing kept me from him but sin. And I saw that this is so with all of us. And I thought that if sin had never existed, we should all have been pure and like himself as God made us. And so I had often wondered before now, in my folly, why, in his great foreseeing wisdom, God had not prevented sin. For then I thought all would have been well. I ought certainly to have abandoned these thoughts, and I grieved and sorrowed over the question in great pride, with no reason or judgment. Nevertheless, Jesus in this vision informed me of all that I needed to know. I am not saying that I do not need any more teaching, for our Lord in this revelation has left me to Holy Church, and I am hungry and thirsty and needy and sinful and frail and willingly submit myself to the teaching of Holy Church with all my fellow Christians until the end of my life. He answered with this assurance, sin is befitting. With this word sin, Our Lord brought to my mind the whole extent of all that is not good, the shameful scorn and the utter humiliation that he bore for us in this life and in his dying, and all the pains and sufferings of all his creatures, both in body and spirit, for we are all to some extent brought to nothing and should be brought to nothing as our Master Jesus was until we are fully purged, that is to say, until our own mortal flesh is brought completely to nothing, and all those of our inward feelings which are not good. He gave me insight into these things, along with all pains that ever were and ever shall be. All this was shown in a flash and quickly changed into comfort, for our good Lord did not want the soul to be afraid of this ugly sight. But I did not see sin for I believe it has no sort of substance nor portion of being, nor could it be recognized were it not for the suffering which it causes. And this suffering seems to me to be something transient, for it purges us and makes us know ourselves and pray for mercy. 
for the passion of our Lord supports us against all this, and that is his blessed will for all who shall be saved. He supports us willingly and sweetly by his words, and he says, But all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. These words were shown very tenderly, with no suggestion that I or anyone who will be saved was being blamed. It would therefore be very strange to blame or wonder at God because of my sin, since he does not blame me for sinning. Thus I saw how Christ feels compassion for us because of sin. And just as I was earlier filled with suffering and compassion at the passion of Christ, so was I now also partly filled with compassion for all my fellow Christians. And then I saw that whenever a man feels kind compassion with love for his fellow Christian, it is Christ within him. Chapter 14 But you must apply yourself to this, contemplating these things in general, sad and grieving. In my mind, I said to our Lord with great reverence, Ah, my good Lord, how could all be well, given the great harm that has been done to humankind by sin? And here I prayed as much as I dared for some clearer explanation to ease my mind over this. And our blessed Lord answered most compassionately and in a very friendly way, and showed me that Adam's sin was the greatest harm that ever was done, or ever shall be, until the end of the world. And he also showed me that this is publicly acknowledged through all holy church on earth. Furthermore, he taught me that I should consider the glorious atonement, for this atonement is incomparably more pleasing to God and more glorious in saving mankind than Adam's sin was ever harmful. So what our blessed Lord's teaching means is that we should take heed of the following. Since I have turned the greatest possible harm into good, it is my will that you should know from this that I shall turn all lesser evil into good. He made me understand two aspects of this. One of them is our Saviour and our salvation. This aspect is blessed and is clear and bright, light and beautiful and abundant for all men who are or shall be of good will are included in it. We are bidden to it by God and drawn to it, admonished and taught inwardly by the Holy Ghost and outwardly by Holy Church by the same grace. Our Lord wishes our minds to be filled with this, rejoicing in him because he rejoices in us. And the more abundantly we are filled with this, reverently and humbly, the more we deserve his thanks and the more we benefit ourselves, and thus we may say rejoicing, our Lord is our portion. The second aspect is closed to us and hidden. That is to say, everything which is not necessary for our salvation. For it is our Lord's privy counsel, and it is proper to the royal lordship of God that his privy counsel should be undisturbed and it is proper for his servants, out of obedience and reverence, not to know his counsel too well. Our Lord feels pity and compassion for us, because some people are so anxious to know about it, and I am sure that if we knew how much we would please him and set our own minds at rest by leaving the matter alone, then we would do so. The saints in heaven do not want to know anything except what our Lord wants to reveal to them, and their love and their desires are directed by our Lord's will. We should desire to be like them. Then, like the saints, we should wish and desire nothing that is not the will of our Lord, for God's purpose for us all is the same. 
And here I was taught that we must rejoice only in our blessed Saviour Jesus and trust in him for everything. Chapter 15 And thus our good Lord answered all the questions and doubts I could put forward, saying most comfortingly as follows, I will make all things well. I shall make all things well. I may make all things well, and I can make all things well, and you shall see for yourself that all things shall be well. I take I may for the words of the Father. I take I can for the words of the Son, and I take I will for the words of the Holy Ghost. And where he says I shall, I take it for the unity of the Holy Trinity, three persons in one truth. And where he says you shall see for yourself, I understand it as referring to the union with the Holy Trinity of all mankind who shall be saved. And with these five sayings, God wishes to be surrounded by rest and peace. And thus, Christ's spiritual thirst comes to an end. For this is the spiritual thirst, the love longing that lasts and ever shall do until we see that revelation on Judgment Day. For we that shall be saved and shall be Christ's joy and his bliss are still here on earth and shall be until that last day. Therefore this is the thirst, the incompleteness of his bliss, that he does not have us in himself as holy as he will have them. All this was shown to me as a revelation of compassion, and his thirst will cease on judgment day. Thus he has pity and compassion for us, and he has longing to have us, but his wisdom and love do not permit the end to come until the best time. And thus I understand the five sayings mentioned above, I may make all things well, etc., as a powerful and comforting pledge for all the works of our Lord which are to come. For just as the Holy Trinity made all things from nothing, so the Holy Trinity shall make all well that is not well. It is God's will that we should pay attention to all the deeds he has done, for he wants us to know from them all he will do. And he showed me that when he said, and you shall see yourself that all manner of things shall be well. I understand this in two ways. First, I am well pleased that I do not know it. Second, I am glad and happy because I shall know it. It is God's wish that we should know in general terms that all shall be well, but it is not God's wish that we should understand it now, except as much as is suitable for us at the present time, and that is the teaching of Holy Church. Chapter 16 God showed me the very great pleasure he takes in men and women who strongly and humbly and eagerly receive the preaching and teaching of Holy Church, for he is Holy Church. He is the foundation, he is the substance, he is the teaching, he is the teacher, he is the goal, he is the prize which every true soul works hard to win. And he is known and shall be known to every soul to whom the Holy Ghost reveals it. And I am sure that all those who are seeking his will succeed for they are seeking God. All that I have now said, and more that I shall say afterwards, gives strength against sin. For first, when I saw that God does all which is done, I did not see sin. And then I saw that all is well. But when God gave me a revelation about sin, then he said, all shall be well. And when Almighty God had shown his great goodness so fully and abundantly, I requested to know how it would be with a certain person whom I loved. And in this request I stood in my own way, for I was not answered immediately. And then I was answered in my reason as though by a friendly man. Take these showings generally, 
and consider the kindness of your Lord God as he gives them to you. For it honours God more to consider him in all things than in any particular thing. I assented, and with this I learned that it honours God more to have knowledge of everything in general than to take pleasure in any one thing in particular. And if I were to follow this teaching faithfully, I should not rejoice over any one special thing, nor be distressed over anything of any kind, for all shall be well. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can find a link in the show notes that will allow you to give so we can continue to make these episodes. Look for more episodes coming soon on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts these days. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, our website, livingchurch.org, or on our award-winning blog, Covenant, at livingchurch.org forward slash covenant. I'm Amber Noel, your host, and I've been glad to be with you. Peace. Peace.